And then this last one is called, is called faux, faux baying, okay? Faux baying, bay, B-A-E, faux baying. Now here's, here's what faux baying is, ready? This, is, this could be a trick for you, okay? You pretend, you pretend that there's a bay in the picture. And like, it's like a reverse psychology thing, you know? Like, like I'm taken, you know? Now it's time to come at me. Like, I don't know, somehow that works. Somehow that works in the brain. It, don't do it, it's a bad idea. But I mean, it, there's this stuff like, if you haven't heard of it, it's because I'm just ahead of this, the curve, you know, okay? So <laughs> when you get old, you have to read about young people dating. That's what you have to do. I'm making myself sound super irrelevant and that's true. But so last week we did, we talked about how confusing and complicated dating can be, that there's words that none of us know what they mean. Um, and, and this week, or last week, we also hit the risks of dating and before you're ready and some of the ways even that you can start preparing yourself for readiness to date. Now, here's a caveat I want to throw in there, okay? Like, when I talk about, hey, the purpose of dating is to find your eventual spouse and, you know, all this type of stuff, like, what you may hear me saying is, like, next time you go on a first date, be like, so what are your thoughts on marriage, you know? Like... <laughs> That's not what I mean. Like, I'm not talking about starting here. Like, I'm not talking about saying, hey, marriage is what you jump to right away. If, like, you start dating, start talking about marriage. Start looking ahead to marriage. Start picking out rings and choosing a wedding date. Like, none of that stuff. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, kind of committing your relationship to marriage and, like, making that a foregone conclusion, is, it can be dangerous. Like, you don't want to get ahead of yourself in terms of your relational closeness and whatnot. So, like, you want to make sure that that doesn't get out of hand. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. So when I talk about marriage being like the ultimate goal of dating, what I am saying, it's like if you're just going around and you're dating for sport or for fun or like whatever, and like that's what you're doing, it's like a form of entertainment for you, like that's not right. That's that, what we're saying is that's not really, that's not setting you or that other person up for long-term success. Like that can be damaging. And I believe, one thing I believe uh, and have come to believe more and more as I've, as I've grown older, God takes very seriously how we treat his other children, you know? How, how he, we treat his other children. He takes that very seriously, especially for us um, men. Like, I think about it now because I'm, I'm the dad. I have a son. I have two daughters, okay? I'm the dad of two girls. And, like, being the dad of, of a girl, like, if, if someone, like, is messing with them or toying with them or, like, not just dis disregarding their feelings or using them for some reason, like that's a problem for me. And, and that would be a problem for me now. Like, like if you want to get me like angry, you could mess with one of my kids, especially one of my little daughters, because there's something about being a dad of a little girl, like you're protective, you know? And so if you want to see me punch a minor, mess with my six-year-old, you know, I'm just kidding. That's not cool. It's a joke. It's probably... My wife is covering her face, which is an indication that I've taken it too far again. Um, I'm joking. But the reality, is, the reality is, if you want to mess with a dad, you know, and if you want to get a dad angry, it, it involves their children a lot of times. And God is a father. God is a father. And he cares. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. Because there's, there's a reality behind that. You're walking into dangerous ground when you start messing with one of God's daughters. And you use them or you disregard their feelings or you treat them like an object or you date them for fun instead of with good intentions. That can be a problem. That can be a problem. And, and I think he, he takes exception to that. Now, that doesn't mean you start every relationship by talking about marriage. So you obviously have to grow into that. But tonight, 
tonight, I just want to add that caveat, but tonight we're going to turn our attention a little bit to a related topic as it relates to this Baywatch series. We're going to talk about sex and sexuality and sexual integrity. And this is an area, some of you are uncomfortable, need to get your giggles out. That was pretty, pretty awesome noise. It sounded a lot like the Pillsbury Doughboy, like poke him in the, Okay. All right, just to get it out of your system, turn to your neighbor and just say sex, just like that. All right, you did it. Now, that's done. Okay, now bring it back. All right, listen, tonight, we are going to turn our attention to this topic of sex, of sexual integrity, and I believe this is an area I believe this is an area where really our culture is sort of off the rails. And in fact, I think our culture, there are parts of our culture disagreeing with itself. There's a lot of questions up in the air. There's some things we haven't really dealt with out in the open in our culture. And I think we're just, we're just sort of confused as a culture. Um, here's some examples of why we're off the rails when it comes to this area of sex. Um, just so you know, these are some statistics about, about people your age. About, and, and this is not meant to make you like think, oh, that's, so it's normal then, and it's okay. Like that's, that's the opposite. Like this is, not, this is not standard. This is not how it's designed. But one out of four ninth graders have, have had sex, and that's actually a little bit of a decrease over the years. One out of four. Four out of 10 10th graders report that they have had sex. Um, over two out of three, over two thirds of 12 to 18 year old girls have been asked to send naked photos of themselves to somebody else. Okay, listen, can I just comment on this for a second? Like usually when, we, when people talk about, um, when they talk about sexting or sending like nudes or whatever, like an adult will talk about it and say, listen, don't ever send nudes. And I want to say that message too, okay? Don't do that. It's a bad idea. Like, you can't get that back. Like, that is out there and you have no control over it anymore. Have you thought about that implication? Like, that is out there. But I'm going to go a step further. We miss this a lot of times when adults talk about this area. All right? Especially young men, look me in the eye right now, okay? Don't ask someone for nudes, young men. Like, then the issue is gone, right? So sometimes we talk about don't send it, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. As you look more into this issue, there are times when, when girls send it, not because they want to or because they feel like it, but they get, like, basically manipulated into doing so. So, like, what, what young ladies are reporting is that they'll be asked and they'll say no. They'll be asked again and they'll say no. Then the person will start trying to guilt trip them and they'll still say no. And then the person will say, you know what? We're going to spread this rumor about you unless you do this right now. And they like, they're like, well, I know I've been told not to do this, but my whole reputation is at stake. And someone just threatened me. And now what do I, I don't know what to do. And, and let me just tell you, that is like, that is so, that is so twisted. That is so, that's so wrong. Don't do that. Guys, like, don't do that. Are you thinking about what you're doing? I'm not saying you've done that, but if, if that's you, you you've got you've to get a handle on those actions. And that is not acceptable. That is not Okay. Um, but in our world, somehow, it's, it's become the norm. More girls, 12 to 18, than not, have been asked to send a naked photo of themselves to someone else digitally. That's, that's just not right. The average age of exposure to pornography across boys and girls is the age of 11. 11. That's, that's just not designed for that. So our culture, on one hand, is saying, this is, this is 
18 and up, right? That's what our culture thinks. And they think, oh, it's fine. As long as you're old enough to handle it, you're mature enough to handle it, which I take exception to. That is not, that is not what God's word would say. The 18 and up is okay. But our culture is confused because while they're saying that on the one side, the average age is 11 and no one's able to do anything about this. So our culture is confused. Our culture is twisted. The largest group of new users of pornography is boys ages 12 to 17. The second largest group of new pornography users are girls ages 15 to 25. Our culture is lost. It's confused. And there are things that even secular scientists are talking about when it comes to pornography, those who study relationships, those who study the brain, that talk about the ill effects. And we're not going to get into all of that today. But even though our culture's message is, hey, 18 and over, if you're mature enough, pornography is okay. That's not true. And even though they're saying that message, they're not even, our culture's not even able to enforce that message. And it's gone out, off the rails to the point where children, literally children, are taking this stuff in. I want to do a quick exercise. This is for my own education, okay? So I want you to take one hand and cover your eyes, okay? Don't peek, don't look around. Cover your eyes with one hand, both of them. Thank you. Both of, both of them. Okay, with your other hand, if you have never been exposed to any type of pornography, whether it's an image or written or things like, or a video or whatever. If you've never been exposed to any kind of pornography, raise your hand up in the air. Okay. All right, put your hands down. You can cover your eyes, uncover your eyes. Okay. Just so you know, there were about 15 people who raised their hand who have never been exposed, exposed to any type of pornography. About 15. Um, in this room, there are about 200 people. Okay, so you see that it's the vast, vast majority of, of students. Now, if that's you, if you're in that group that raised their hands, the 15 or so, like, that is awesome. Protect that. Please protect that. Don't take this to be someone saying, you're unusual because you have it. No, you're, you're extraordinary. Like, that is a good thing. That is worth protecting and holding on to. Protect that. That is a good thing. But the norm today, according to our culture, is for these things to be things that we're exposed to. Now, here's the, here's the reason this really gets a hold of us, all right? This really gets a hold of us because we start to believe that God is holding out on us. Like he's holding something back from us that's good, that we should be chasing after, that we would enjoy. And like this is, this is so interesting to me because ultimately, like those of us, especially who are Christians, somewhere inside when we, when we indulge in these things, we start to believe that to a degree. We're like, God says, don't, this is not good, but like, I'm going to say it's good. And the reason I'm going to chase after that is because ultimately at the end of the day, part of me believes that what God is doing is he's holding out something that, that is desirable, that's good. And so I'm going to step into that. And the thing that's so interesting to me about that lie, about that, that thinking, is it's the very same thinking that happened when man and woman first sinned in the garden. If you go back to Genesis and you read the first few chapters of Genesis, it does not take the man and woman long to fall away from what God has asked them to do. And the reason is because they get fooled into thinking that God is holding something back. Basically, the devil approaches Eve and he goes, hey, God didn't really say that you can't eat from all the fruit of these trees, right? And he twists what God actually said. He said, you can eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees except for one. And he just made one ground rule. Don't eat from this one tree. And, and so Eve's like, no, no, he didn't say that. He said it like this. And, and, and basically Satan fools her. 
because she says, if we eat from this one tree, God says, surely we'll die. And here's what Satan says in Genesis chapter three, verses four and five. He says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So basically Satan comes to the woman and he says to her, hey, did God really say this? You know why he said that, right? That, the consequence he said, like the bad thing that he said is going to happen, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is good stuff. Like you're going to be just like God. You're going to know. He doesn't want you to know. He's holding back. He's holding something back from you. And so the very first lie that, that Adam and Eve believed before they took the fruit and ate it and committed the first sin is that God was holding something good back from them. Because it says Eve, she looked and she saw that the fruit was good to eat and it was going to be tasty and she took it and she gave some to her husband and they ate and they sinned together. I mean, that lie and it, what it, the consequences of them believing that lie, it's, it's so sad, it's heartbreaking. And we're in our condition today because we've failed. We, we failed as individuals, but ultimately our first father, our first mother failed to keep God's standard. They had a personal one-on-one, face-to-face relationship with God. And that was broken because they chose to go their own way. They chose to believe this lie that God was holding something back from them. And I think we believe that so often, that exact same lie that God's holding something back from us. And I think that the devil still has a hold on our culture using the same age-old lie. Isn't that interesting? His, his tactic, it might come out in some different methods, but ultimately the message is the same. God's just trying to ruin your fun. He's holding something back from you. And then we believe that and we fall into it and we just reap destruction out of that. We think we're getting away with more. There was this, there was this uh, experiment done with professors from Stanford University. And I want to do this with my kids so bad. I didn't have a chance to yet, but I'm going to. Um, you, you put a kid in a room alone, just them, a, ter- a chair, a table, and a plate with a single marshmallow on it, right? And you tell them, hey, you can have this marshmallow now, or you can wait 15 minutes. I'm going to leave the room, and in 15 minutes, I'll come back, and if you have not eaten the marshmallow, I'll give you two. And the kids just sit there, and they battle with it. Some of them, like, pet it like it's an animal. Some of them, like, like go to lick it, you know, or something like that. Some of them just stare at it. Some of them, like, get angry and start throwing their bodies around. Like, they just get all upset, and they don't know what to do. And some of them just eat it. Like, just straight up. Like, scientists leaves. They're like, I'm going to eat it. And, like, I'm really interested to see what my kids would do. I think I know. Um, but, but ages two to six, I think, were the age range. And, and it's, just, it's just so interesting. Because, at the, like, those who, those who can't, like, they, they need the instant gratification. Like, oh, yeah, they enjoyed that. But ultimately, it's over. But the ones who wait have it better. You know, the ones who wait get it better. And, and ultimately, when it comes down to this, I think what God's saying to us is, look, you might be able to go for the instant gratification, but what you don't realize is you're settling for something less than I have planned for you. You're settling for something less. You might think it's the right way to go because you can, you can have that instant gratification right now. But what I have for you, what I have planned is better. What I have planned is better. And not only that, and it goes further than this illustration can take us, but when we, when we go for the instant gratification, what we don't realize is it's also ultimately destructive. There's ultimately pain and regret and all sorts of things that go in the wake of doing it our own way instead of his way. So that's what we're going to get into right now is what, why is sexual integrity worth it? Why is it worth it to pursue sexual integrity? If you've got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, we've got a couple other Bible verses we'll be in. 1 Corinthians 6 is where we'll spend, where we have the most, but also Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to get ahead of the game, 
You can flip over to Matthew chapter 5 and put a paper in there or your finger or something like that to hold your spot. Why is sexual integrity worth it? And I use this term, sexual integrity. Like, this just means you're being consistent. Like, integrity is when you're the same person, when there's somebody else around, as when, when you're by yourself. Like, that's, that's integrity. It's, it's being a person of character. Uh, it's being a consistent person. And, and when you say something, you, like, people know you're telling the truth. You know, people know that you're consistent and that you, you're going to be telling the truth. That's having integrity. And so sexual integrity is being a person who, who lives up to the standards that they set for themselves and that's, that God sets for us as well. And so sexual integrity, why is pursuing sexual integrity worth it? First of all, sexual integrity protects you from pain and regret. It protects you from pain and regret. Um, I think there's a slide that says that before we get to this verse. Yes, sexual integrity protects you from pain and regret. There's just something a little bit different about sexual sin. Something that's a little bit different. It runs a little bit deeper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18, Paul is talking about this area of sexual immorality. And he, he says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul's saying here is like, look, all other sins fall in this other category over here. But like something about sexual sin, something about being a sin against your own, your own body, your flesh and blood, which by the way, sometimes we think of our flesh and blood as temporary, like we're going to die and our spirit leaves our body and we go and we spend forever in heaven with God separate from our body, right? That's how we think of it. So sometimes we're like, oh, you sin against your own body. Well, that's, that's not a problem. Your body's finite. What you don't want to sin against is your own soul, your own spirit. Actually, there's a connection here. There's a connection here. Biblically, that's not the case. Like we're starting to slip into something called Gnosticism if we separate spirit from body. Like when he's saying you sin against your body, you sin against your very self. Because the reality is at the end of time, like our spirit that does for a time get separated from our body, at the end of time, our spirit and our body are reunited. And our body is made perfect and recreated, but it's our body. And in a sense, this body that we have, while it is, it is finite, it is temporary, it gets, it gets renewed and turned into something that lasts for eternity, that we're, we're reunited with. So we have bodies, even these bodies in eternity. They're just renewed and made perfect and made right. And so there's something different about when we sin sexually. There's something, it, it involves the whole person, the whole self. We're sinning with our bodies. We're sinning against our bodies. But it also brings in the element of our hearts and our spirit. Like as we become one with another person, that, that is a painful process to have that separated. And so Paul talks about it as if, as if there's something, just something a little bit unique about sexual sin. Now, God sees sins as sins, and you've heard that before, and I think that's true, but sometimes there are different consequences for one sin over another. And we see that in the way even we, we do justice in our own culture. You know, we see different sins. We see some sins as different than others. You know, like not every time you lie, sometimes when you lie, you're able to get prosecuted in court. Depends on who you lie to. And when you lie. But if you steal, there's a bigger punishment. And if you kill, there's a bigger punishment than that. And so there are different consequences for our sins sometimes. Even though all sin is sin in God's sight, and we're all imperfect, and we all make mistakes, something about sexual sin, God says, be careful. Because it involves some other areas. I can tell you that, that when you mess up, and you throw things away now, 
that regret kind of hangs with you and it affects you later on in life. So sexual integrity protects you from pain and regret that comes with sexual sin. So I just want to make that clear. So that's one of the reasons that's worth it. You might not think you're going to regret something now, but when you're older, you might, you might feel differently about that. Or in two months, you might feel differently about that if that relationship changes. All of that, it, it, it transforms and then we have regret and there's pain there. We want to avoid that as much as possible. I want you to live with few, as few regrets as possible. Second reason sexual integrity is worth it is that sexual integrity communicates value to your current significant other and your future spouse. Sexual integrity communicates value to your current significant other and your future spouse. So if you're dating someone or you, in the future you start dating someone, I, I can just tell you that if that person's a follower of Jesus as well and you sit down and you have this discussion and you say, look, here's some boundaries we're going to set up. What I believe happens is that that person takes that and, and if they're interpreting it correctly, they'll see that as you ascribing them value. Like you're saying, listen, you're not an object through which I'm going to get self-sexual gratification. Like that's not what you're here for. That's not why we're together. Like I care about you. I care about your soul. I care about your heart. I care about protecting your heart. And you're communicating value to that person as an individual, as an image bearer of God. You're not, you're not separating that out and saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you for my own pleasure. And I think ultimately, when it comes down to it, when you, when you make those standards and when you set those boundaries, you're communicating pleasure to that person, or pleasure, you're communicating value to that person. But then you're also communicating value to your, your future husband or wife. Because even if that person who you're having that discussion with is not your future spouse, when you do come to your future spouse and you do give yourself to them on your wedding day and you do have that consummation of your marriage where you become one flesh, as the Bible calls it, like that's communicating value saying, listen, you were worth me waiting for. You were worth it. You were worth me protecting myself, protecting my heart, protecting my body and saving it for you. That's, that's, great. that's a great communication of value right there. That's a great gift that you can give to someone in the future. Now, I just want to say at this point, at this juncture, because some people maybe are feeling convicted or feeling like I'm trying to guilt trip you or whatever. If you've messed up, if you've messed up in this area, this does not mean you're disqualified from all of this, that you can't communicate value to your future spouse. None of that's true. That's not true. God has enough grace for you. God has enough grace for all of us. And that these things can be made right and he can forgive you and he can heal wounds and he can do all of that stuff. So I'm not trying to tell you, hey, shame on you if you've done this. That's not it at all. God has a great plan for you. But the point is, start now. Start now. Make this a priority now. So sexual integrity prevents, protects you from pain and regret. Sexual integrity communicates value to your current significant other and your future spouse. And third, sexual integrity sets you up for a more satisfying sex life in the long run, in case you need more motivation, okay? Because the University of Chicago did a study, and they determined through all different types of couples, all different types of people, that married sex is the most satisfying sex. Why, you ask? Because studies show that married people are significantly more likely to say that their sex life makes them feel satisfied, loved, thrilled, wanted, and taken care of. And also those who are faithfully married are the least likely to report saying that sex makes them feel sad, anxious, worried, scared, afraid, guilty, or dirty. I think there's a reason for that. And it, because in that context of commitment and relationship, there's safety. There's love and, and all, there's, there's beauty and there's intimacy. 
And you're able to express that physically in a way that's safe and not in a way like you're wondering about what that person's thinking about you or if you're going to see them again or if you're going to be continue dating after this or, or if they're going to accept you or if maybe you're going to win more of their love by giving yourself to them. That's not the right way to view this. It's an expression of the love that they, that they give you that they can't give you anymore. They're just expressing that love and you're expressing that love to them. It's, it's, it's in a marriage relationship. And you can have a, you can have a deep like love for someone you're not married to. You can have deep like emotional intimacy with someone you're not married to, but it's still not the right time for you to give yourself to them in this way. But why does God tell us that that's the case? Because there needs to be a commitment that matches that act. The only commitment that matches that act is the covenant of marriage. We have very few covenants left in our world, in our culture. Marriage is one of the few covenants that we make. That's, covenant is an old word. And it's like a promise that runs even deeper than a promise. It's, it's just your whole soul is involved and you're giving yourself to them. And unfortunately, in, in our culture, even though we have that as a covenant, sometimes it gets broken and that gets messy. And a lot of people in this room have felt that directly, the pain of divorce. And I'm not here, I'm not talking about divorce right now. It's not the topic of conversation. But I saw recently that of all, of all the events that can happen in a child's life, ranked even higher in terms of stress level and anxiety that it causes a young person, even higher than the death of a family member is divorce. It, it wreaks havoc. It's, its consequences affect not just the two who are married. It affects their family, their friends, if they have children, in deep, deep ways. And so this covenant, this idea of a permanent relationship, we need to take this idea seriously. We need to understand the weight that it carries. And I get, I understand right now, you guys, that what I'm saying sounds so old school in our culture today. And some of you understand this, and some of you have heard some of these, these things before, and this is not completely new, and so you're not as shocked by that. But if you're walking in as just like an average high schooler who doesn't go to church and doesn't read the Bible and things like that, this could be shocking. To some of your peers, this could be shocking that, we, that there's still people out there who believe you shouldn't have sex until you're married. Man, I gotta tell you, I, 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 I know that that's true. I've experienced that myself. But being a person who's married and who waited to have sex with my spouse until I was married, like that, it's, it's a good thing. Like I have no regrets about what we didn't do. Like, that's not a thing. I'm so glad that we waited till we were married. And I've never, I can tell you this, I've never met a married person who waited until they were married to have sex, who's like, you know what? I just wish we would have had sex before we got married. I've never heard that. I've never heard of that. I have heard, on the other hand, of people who didn't wait to have sex with their, with their partner but until they were married. I have heard those people say, you know, I wish we didn't have sex. I've heard that before, not the other way around. And so I, I just want you guys to live with less pain, less regrets in your future. And so I tell you these, these things, these truths, it's worth it. It's worth it to pursue sexual integrity. And that includes not just relationships, but also the, the issue of pornography. That it, it includes the purity of your mind and sexual integrity in your, in your mind and, and on your computer screens and on your phones and in your reading material. It includes that as well. So what are some tips for us living a, a life of sexual integrity? How can we do this better? I've got a few quick things. We've got to head off to our life groups in just a minute to discuss this more. All right, the first, the first tip I have for you is to be extreme in dealing with sexual sin. 
be extreme, be relentless. Matthew chapter five, Jesus talks about, he's talking about adultery. He's talking about raising the bar of adultery. He says, it's not just adultery and do it physically, but if you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery with her in your heart. He goes on to say in verse 29, if, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. All this in the context of sexual uh, lust and sexual adultery and all that stuff. So sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. And he talks about not only that, but if your eye, your hand, like, man, he's taking it to a level that, we're, that we are understanding, right? Still in our culture. He's taking it to this level. And, and what he's saying is, look, be extreme. Because he doesn't literally mean cut off your hand, gouge out your, like, if we did that, we would all be blind and none of us would have hands, right? Like we would, if we took that literally, like when we talk about interpreting scripture literally, what we mean is what he literally means. And Jesus is using a figure of speech here called hyperbole, right? Have you heard of hyperbole before? Like, you, you know, you say this all the time when you're like, we're at lunch and there were a million people watching us and then they did, you know, like whatever, like we're telling a story, that's hyperbole. There weren't a million people watching you, there were like 20. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the way this goes. So that's what hyperbole is. Jesus is saying, look, basically the bottom line, what he means by this, be extreme. Don't go easy on it. When it comes to this area of sexual integrity and the sexual sin, be extreme in how you deal with it. So this might include something like if you're dating someone and you really like them and they have great qualities, but you cannot stay pure between the two, you cannot keep that sexual integrity, break up. Ouch, that hurts. I like them. They like me. You're not close to, can you get married right now? Can you get married real soon to make that problem go away? No? Okay, break up. Sorry. It's extreme, right? It's extreme. It doesn't sound, it's not a great, like fun sounding thing to do, but it's extreme. And you have to be extreme to protect this area of your life. Be extreme. Um, you, maybe it, it involves like accountability with the accountability partner. You need to go to extreme measures to make sure you're not looking at or reading things that, that you don't want to be reading or looking at, or watching, and that might require some accountability. Or maybe you're with that person, and you're like, we, we have a great relationship, but we can't seem to keep sexual integrity. Like, maybe it's just a matter of never being with each other unless you're in public or with groups of people. Maybe that's what the solution is. That's extreme. But God says to be extreme. Jesus tells us to be extreme when it comes to dealing with sexual sin. Secondly, second tip, avoid tempting situations. This seems really obvious, but avoid tempting situations. We already read this verse in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. When we look across the scriptures, there's a lot of sins that we're told to stand up and fight against. Sexual sin is not one of those areas. The Bible says God tells us to flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. All right? So maybe you have a problem where like you make bad decisions when you're tired and you're going to bed and you're by yourself and you got your phone with you, okay? Here's, here's something you could do. Flee from tempting situations. Like don't bring your phone to your room at night. Like leave your charger downstairs and plug it in in the kitchen, all right? If, if your parents don't have that rule, this would be extreme. You could suggest to them that they create it. Like that would be good because if you end up getting in trouble when that device is near you, for whatever reason, that might be, that might be something that's good. Now, some, now, people have said this to me in the past, because I, I, I tell people to do this all the time. And people have said to me in the past, like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good suggestion, but, you know, my phone is my alarm clock, and so I got to wake up. It's like a, it's like, what? 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, there was this thing created, like, in the late 1800s called an alarm clock. And, like, what it does is it wakes you up in the morning. And you don't need your phone to do that because that's what the alarm clock is an alarm clock. So get one of those. They cost, like, eight bucks. All right. So that would be not that extreme, but it would be helpful in avoiding tempting situations. All right. Number three. Number three. Tip number three. Only date someone who shares your values. Only date someone who shares your values in this area. Here's the thing. Here's what I can tell you. It is difficult enough. It is difficult enough to maintain sexual integrity with someone you care about, who you're attracted to, who agrees with your values. That's difficult enough. Okay? Let alone to, to take the person, say, someone that you're attracted to and someone you have chemistry with, someone you love and care about, and then they don't share the same convictions. In fact, they want to go in that direction. That is just asking for trouble. That's just asking for trouble. And so make sure that the person you're dating shares your values, is willing to uphold your values when it comes to sexual integrity. And this goes as, as deep as, as someone who shares your faith, okay? Now, I'm, I'm aware that there's people in here who are Christ followers, there's people in here who don't really know what that means yet, and there's people in here who have rejected that, and that's, that's, that's cool. And I'm talking to every single person along that, that line. I'm talking to Christians right now when I say, don't date a non-Christian. Don't date a non-Christian. Here's why. Because someday, if, you, if that relationship leads to marriage, okay, or even if it doesn't, in that relationship, there's going to be friction about what the values are. And you're going to have difficulty upholding your values with that person. But if that, mar- if that relationship does turn into marriage, okay, you might not anticipate. I know people who are Christians who are dating non-Christians who said, we're not going to get married. This is just for fun. We're like, well, is that a good idea? No, I'm going to do it anyway. They're married today. All right? And um, when, you're, when you do get married, and if that person doesn't share your belief system, and someday maybe you have kids, or someday you're maybe praying about a decision that you want to make in your life about what job to take or where to live or whatever it might be, like that person's not in that journey with you. You're raising your kids and you want your kids to know the Lord and to know Jesus. And that person doesn't believe that. That, that creates a difficult situation. And so when I say I'm talking to Christians, I'm talking to Christians on that. But I'm also talking to you if you're rejecting Jesus or you're like, this isn't for me. Like, hey, we want you to be here. I'm not trying to alienate you right now. I would say to you, if we were talking one-on-one, and you're like, ah, I'm not a Christian, but I'm you know, trying to decide who I want to get married to someday. Don't get married to a Christian. Because someday... If you're not a Christian, that Christian is going to want to raise their kids a certain way that you're, might, you might even disagree with. They're going to want to make decisions a certain way. And if God calls them to do something, they're going to want to follow after that. And if that's not where you're at, it's not, it's not a good match. And I'm not just saying that because I'm saying, oh, like, it's not supposed to be like an exclusive, like offensive thing. I'm just saying, if your base of your life, like Christians are supposed to be basing their life on Jesus and their relationship with Jesus. And if the base of your entire life is completely different, how is that going to work? How is that going to work? I don't think that's going to work very well. So only date someone who shares your values, whether talking about both your your faith values and also your values when it comes to sexual integrity and that you agree on boundaries and things of that nature. Number four, delay getting physical as long as you can. Delay getting physical with someone as long as you can. The later, the better. Again, I've never heard someone say, our problem in our relationship was we got physical too late. Like we took our relationship to that physical sexual level too late. We should have done that way earlier. That was our problem. I've never heard that before. I have heard the opposite. 
right? I have heard the opposite. So make sure that you're delaying getting physical as long as you can, because here's the deal. Like when you first start dating someone or you first have an attraction to someone, maybe if you hold their hand, like that's exciting for a while, right? But then after a while, that becomes like routine. It's not a big deal anymore. So then you have to like move to something else. Now you're kissing on the cheek or something. That's exciting. And then like, you see where I'm going, right? Because that just does, it doesn't last that long. So wait as long as you can before you get physical with somebody. Delay getting physical as long as possible. A-L-A-P. All right, in the end, I want you to know Bottom line, I want you to know that I care about you and that I believe the decisions that you make right now will become a part of your story in the long run. Matter of fact, the decisions you make today, someday are just going to be a story. It's just a story. And so the question is, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? In 10 or 20 or 30 years, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell your future spouse one day? What story do you want to tell your kids one day? Let that inform your decisions today. Make choices now that pave the way to intimacy later. Safeguard your heart. Safeguard your body. God is not trying to hold, on, hold out on you. He wants the best for you. I've got this little, this little page that's going to be distributed in your life group. Some of you might think it's corny. I just think it's something that's good to get in front of you, to read, to commit to. Okay? And it has a verse on it, the verses that we were looking at, 1 Corinthians 6. And it has a pledge. It's a sexual integrity pledge. It says, in honor of God, my family, and my future spouse, I commit my life to sexual purity. In other words, sexual integrity. And this involves, and it lists four things, honoring God with my body, renewing my mind for goodness, turning my eyes from worthless things, and guarding my heart above all else. And there are Bible verses that go along with each of those commitments. And I want you to pray about this. I want you to look at this. I want you to think about what this means. And then I want you to sign and date it and put it in your Bible or put it somewhere where you'll see it from time to time to remind you of this commitment. If you have an accountability partner, share it with them. Have them sign it on the backside as like a witness and then hold each other accountable to these things. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna head off to our life groups. Sorry about the, the late time leaders. Lord, we just thank you for your vision for us. We thank you that you always have our best in mind. We thank you that so often when we try to go our own way, we end up back where, where you led us as the best, most ideal way, the way that leads to the fewest regrets and the least amount of pain. So Lord, thank you that your heart is for us. Lord, help us to accept that. Help us to receive that. Help us to set up boundaries in our lives to protect our hearts, protect our bodies, protect our relationships. Lord, give us the will and the means to do it, even though it's countercultural today. Lord, be with us as we go. We love you in Jesus' name.